The epistle for this second Sunday in Lent is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Brethren, even as you have learned from us how you ought to walk and to please God, as indeed you are walking, we beseech and exhort you in the Lord Jesus to make even greater progress. For you know what precepts I have given to you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality, that every one of you learn how to possess his vessel in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Did no one transgress and overreach his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, as we have told you before and have testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 17th chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured before them. And his face shone as the sun, and his garments became white as snow. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elias talking together with him. Then Peter addressed Jesus, saying, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you will, let us set up three tents here, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. As he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And on hearing it, the disciples fell on their faces and were exceedingly afraid. And Jesus came near and touched them and said to them, Arise, and do not be afraid. But lifting up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus cautioned them, saying, Tell the vision to no one till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, during this time of Lent, we spend a lot of time reflecting on our Lord as being the victim for our sins. We know that when our Lord was born, by the command of God, he was given the name Jesus, which means Savior. He has come on this earth to save us from our sins. How do you save someone for their, from their sins? You, you have to pay a certain price. In the case of our Lord, is if he's come to, to save us from our sins, the, the price that, that he has to pay is to die for us. This is how he's a victim for our sins. He dies in order to pay for our sins. This is why we say we have this invocation in the litany of the Sacred Heart. Heart of Jesus, victim for our sins, have mercy on us. We know that the saints are the ones who have reflected the most and the, the most deeply on this truth of our faith, um, that our Lord, if he dies, it is because of our sins. And they've embedded their, their reflections um, for our profit in the methods of the stations of the cross that, that they have designed. And this, because, because we understand they were able to become very holy in their life and they were able to contemplate our Lord's passion very deeply in their life. We like to take their words, we like to take the methods that they formulated for, for doing the stations of the cross and repeat those words. We, we like to, to try to, um, somehow 
contemplate the passion in the same way that they had by following their methods of the Stations of the Cross. I just want to share with you some of the reflections that the saints have given us in their methods um, that the, these sentiments that, that sort of they have us reflect upon and the words that they put on, on our mouth concerning this fact that our Lord is the victim for our sins. So when we pray the Stations of the Cross according to the method of St. Alphonsus, which I think is, is the most well-known of everybody, everybody knows the method of St. Alphonsus, in the first station, he has to say the following, My adorable Jesus, it was not Pilate, no, it was my sins that condemned thee to die. And in the third station, My beloved Jesus, it is not the weight of the cross, but of my sins, which has made thee suffer so much pain. As you know, St. Francis of Assisi um, had a very great devotion to the Stations of the Cross, and he also uh, proposed a method, wrote down a method to be used when praying the Stations. And as with, with a lot of these methods, there's, there's first a, a period of, of reflection on the mystery, and then you kneel down and, and you recite, recite a certain prayer um, where you're addressing our Lord. And in the reflection part on the seventh station where our Lord falls the second time, um, here is the reflection, here is what St. Francis of Assisi has us think about. The suffering Jesus under the weight of his cross again falls to the ground, but the cruel executioners do not permit him to rest a moment. Pushing and striking him, they urge him onward. It is the frequent repetition of our sins which oppresses Jesus. Witnessing this, how can I continue to sin? Then there's another saint, Saint Leonard of Port Maurice, who makes a Stations of the Cross. And in the fourth station, the station where there's this meeting between our Lord and Our Lady, he has us reflect in this way. What sorrow pierces the heart of Jesus, and what anguish wounds the heart of Mary in this meeting? Mary, full of affliction, seems to say, O ungrateful soul, what has my Jesus done to thee? And Jesus calls out to you, Child, what has my poor mother done to thee? Oh, forsake the sins which have caused our pain and sorrow. These reflections of the saints help us perhaps realize more deeply, more intensely, that I am the one who am the cause of our Lord's crucifixion. Our Lord goes to death because of me, because of my sins. Let me not point the finger at Judas. Let me not point the finger at Pilate. Let me not point the finger at the Jews. It is my sins that he is paying for when he goes to die on the cross. Our Lord is a victim of my sins. This reflection is very, very important. It is, is such, such a part, as I say, of our Catholic spirituality, of, of our Lenten reflections. But it's imp also important that, that we not stop there, that we have another reflection, that, that there's another title under which our Lord bears the, the title of victim. He is not just a victim of our sins. He is also a victim of his own love. There's a hymn that's in the, the hymnals, Hymn 89, which invokes our Lord. It says, Cor Jesu, caritatis victima, miser, not miserere nobis, but venite adoremus. Cor Jesu, Caritatis victima, venite adoremus. Let us adore the heart of Jesus, victim of love. It's a very 
moving melody as well. So, okay, our sins have wounded our Lord because they offend God, and he is God. Our sins hurt him. He's a victim for our sins. Okay, fine. We understand that. But our sins have also ruined our own lives. Our sins destroy us. Our sins close the gates of heaven for us. Our, our sins ruin our relationship with our own creator. Our, our sins wreak havoc in our lives. And, and by them, we are left a mess. Um, we, we are left in ruins. So there's this situation. We offend God. He is hurt by our sins. We ourselves are ruined by our sins. Then what happens? What will we expect to happen? You know that so many people today, they love to play the victim card. Love to say, you've injured me, and now it's time to pay up. You've hurt me. That means I get to exercise power over you. I get to um, make you feel bad about this and demand reparations, demand reparations. This is not what our Lord does. He says, here is this soul upon whom I have conferred everything, all manner of good things. I've, I've given them a human nature that, that I've designed in a certain way. I've designed it for happiness. If, if you use your human nature in the way that God has designed it, then you will be fulfilled and satisfied in this life. And then this person has taken it and says, I don't care about what you've done with me. I don't want to follow your design for my life. I'll follow my own way. And then, and then they go and they wreck themselves. And their, their life is a ruin. And in this state of rejection of God, what does God do? He does not say, okay, fine. You've hurt me. You've rejected me. Now you're a wreck. I leave you to yourself. Instead, he says, my child, what have you done? What have you done with your life? Look at, look at what has happened to you. How will you pull yourself out of this misery? There is no way that you're going to be able to save your own life in this state. Heaven is close to you now. I will come. I will lay down my life for you. I will save you. It's in this way that, that our Lord is, is not just a victim for our sins. It's not, it's not just that he's offended for our sins, but he's a victim of his own love. He loves us so much that even when we want to be his enemies... He does not allow that to be an obstacle to his love. But he says, I will go and lay down my life for you. I voluntarily give myself, sacrifice myself, allow myself to be killed in order to assist you. There's a very strange story in the Old Testament. In the book of Osi or Hosea, uh, the prophet Osi. Uh, the, 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 if you say his, his name using the, the Greek, it's Osi, and if you use the Hebrew, it's Hosea. Um, a strange story set up by God in order to prefigure the, the actions of our Lord when he comes on this earth, and also to symbolize the relationship of God with his people Israel. So we have this prophet Osi, We'll just go with the Greek. And God says to him, I want you to marry this woman who's going to be unfaithful to you. Her name is Gomer, um, G-O-M-E-R. And so Osi marries Gomer. 
and they have three children, two boys, one girl, and, and God uh, gives the names of, the, of each of the children. And then, as expected, Gomer leaves her husband and their children, and she goes off, and she commits adultery with many different men, and she wastes all of her resources, and she gets herself into debt, debts that, that are far too, too big for her to pay off. In this state, what's, what's going on with her husband? Her husband's like, my, my wife has abandoned me. Um, I'm, I'm stuck raising the three children with, without the assistance of my wife. I've been hurt because she's unfaithful to me. And she, she's um, cast shame upon me and our family. And meanwhile, what, what has happened to, to Gomer? What, what's, what's her situation? She herself has, has wrecked her life. She, she has left her husband and her children, um, which are, should be the center of her attention. She's given her love and, and her, she sold herself to these men who don't love her at all. She sold her body to them. She's, she's wasted all of her resources. She can't even take care of herself now. Um, and the, the, the book of Osa even depicts her as, as like being in the desert, in, in like a state of squalor. And what happens? What happens next? It's not, it's not what you would expect to happen. Osi does not take Gomer to divorce court, and they reach a settlement. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't go to his friends and say, you know, uh, let me tell you about how horrible my wife is and what she's done to me and, and, and so on and so forth. Sort of the, the normal outcome we would expect if, if there's just an average story. That's not what happens. What happens is, is God says to him, Go out to the desert. Go to your wife who has been unfaithful. Tell her that you love her, that you are still faithful to her, that you want her to come back. Take all the money that you have, pay for her debts, and bring her back into your home. You are the victim of your wife's offenses against you, but you are not going to play the victim you're going to be the victim of your own love for her. You're going to pay the price for her in order to assist her to bring her back. And this beautiful story, as I say, is, is precisely the story of our Lord in his relationship to us. This is the way our Lord Jesus Christ, the sacred heart, is with us, that he's a victim in two senses. First of all, he's wronged. He's truly wronged by us when we commit sin. He's given us this beautiful life. He's given us human nature, our, 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 our parents, our families, our friends, our, this beautiful planet, so many joys in this life. And he, he simply asks us to, to live according to the way that he's made us, the, sort of this covenant, according to this covenant that we have with God because of the fact that we are his creatures. And we have said, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in the happiness that that you offer up, what I will do instead is, is go and commit adultery with creatures. I will go and I will take my heart and I will place my heart in money or pleasure, sensual pleasure, or my own pride, my own way, my own will. That's where I find my happiness. And then what happens? We ourselves become the victim of our own sins. We we devalue our own, own human nature. We, we degrade ourselves. We find ourselves in, in just 
not very good situations in our lives, and it's to the degree that we give ourselves over to these things. What does our Lord do when he sees us in this state, in this, in this sort of spiritual desert? As I say, he loves us. He takes pity on us. He says, this is my poor child. Look what he's done to himself. In order to rescue this child, I'm going to have to pay a very, very steep price. But because I love him, I'm going to pay that price. I will come down on this earth. I will give my life for this, my creature. So my dear faithful, this is the truth that we are meant to turn over and over in our minds during this Lent. The fact that our Lord, if he goes to die on the cross, it is because he is a victim of our sins, for our sins, but it's also because he's a victim of his own love for us. He wants to die. He wants to suffer for us. He wants to give his life to rescue us. Consider how this uh, woman, Gomer, must have felt when she was restored to her home. You know, she's, she's perhaps reflecting on her previous state. Uh, her, her life was a wreck. She was in total squalor. Now she's back in her home. There's her husband who, who has, has paid this steep price, has, has suffered so much from her sins. And, and there he is expressing his, his love towards her, being so good to her. How, how would she not be moved um, with, with a great love and respect for him in that situation? And there are children whom she had abandoned before and um, who she was meant to take care of, and she had left for, for what? For stupid things, for empty happiness, and now they are here. She's with them again. How would she not be moved to, to love her husband more fully, to love her children more dutifully, to be faithful? How would she not be moved to accept whatever trials might come to her in the midst of her married life, to say, okay, yeah, there's still some things that I don't like, but I will bear them. I will be very happy to bear them. This is the situation for us, my dear faithful. These are the sentiments that we must try to foster in our heart in this Lent, um, especially to have this, this attitude of love to our Lord whom we have abandoned in the past. And, and what, what can I do for him? What love can I show him? I have been unfaithful to you, dear Lord, but you have rescued me. In return, I, I want to accept whatever crosses may come to me. I, I want to return the love that you have shown me. Henceforth, I will take up my cross and follow thee. Never permit me to offend thee again. Grant that I may love thee always, and then do with me what thou wilt. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.